Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us today. Here at Skyline, our mission is to engage people to the gospel, connect them to Christ, and empower them to serve. For more information, visit our website at skyline.church. We hope today's message helps you feel engaged, connected, and empowered. What is up? Good morning, everybody. Glad to have you guys here today at Skyline. I'm Pastor Jeff. If you're a first-timer, super glad that you're here with us today. Uh, Today, we're going to continue our message series through the Gospel of Mark. We've been kind of walking through this together and uh, excited to kind of get to this point in the text where we're really, it's interesting. If you look through the Gospel of Mark, there's like 15, 16 chapters, and here we are uh, in in chapter 11, and really the the rest of the book just focuses on this last week of his life. And so as we kind of read through today's text and the weeks ahead, think about all of this. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's entering the last week of his life. And these are the things that's important to him. These are the lessons that's important for him to teach. And so that's what we're going to be jumping into today in Mark chapter 11. Today I want to talk a little bit about the kingship of Jesus. We want to talk about Jesus as, as king. He's the, the king of kings. And so as we look at kingship, I, I know we think of Ancient kings, ancient rulers, pharaohs, monarchs, emperors, and we have all these ideas in our minds about how they ruled, how, how they conquered, and how they lived. We think about people like Alexander the Great, or Claudius, or Ming, or Octavius, or Herod, or with all these people who lived many, many, many years ago, and, and how they ruled, or how we've been taught that they ruled. And as we look at these pharaohs, emperors, these, these monarchs, whatever you want to call them, there are a couple common themes that happened with, with many of them. And I say many because I know it's not all, and so I, wanna, I don't want to denigrate every ruler that's ever been. But with many of them, we see a common theme or two. And I want to look at these two common themes today. One of the common themes that we see with many of these people in supreme authority is that they have a lack of humility. Uh, they believe that they are themselves a god of sorts. In some cases, these, these emperors, these monarchs, they have pharaohs, they have made their people to look to them as a god, to worship them as a god. They, they lack, they lack humility. The other common theme that we see is this, that they desire sovereignty, that they want complete control of everything. They, they, they want to be able to control everything that can be controlled, but alas, they cannot and some of these rulers that we, we read about and we, we hear stories of, they, they have that desire for control that was so great that they would even kill their own family members in an effort to keep that control. A lot of times when we think of kingship, we think of maybe these types of kings. But today what we do and what we're going to learn about as we look through Mark chapter 11 is that Jesus is a very different type of king. He's not the type of kings like those kings. He's not the type of king that lacks humility. Uh, He's not the type of king who desires sovereignty but cannot achieve it. He's a different type of king. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with us on the screen. Uh, Also, you can grab a Bible at our next steps desk. We'd love for you to have one. They're free of charge. All right, Mark chapter 11. Let's read God's word together. It says, now when they drew near to Jerusalem, To Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it 
and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and they found a colt tied at the door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches, think of like palm fronds, out into the street that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem And he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I pray, God, that you would illuminate the truth of who you are to us. Lord, we have lots of misconceptions sometimes about about who you are. Uh, Maybe we've been taught things that were incorrect. Maybe that we've believed things uh, because of our experiences with other fathers or other kings and we've applied them to you and they're they're just not representative of who you are. So Lord, help us today as we look at your word to be taught who you are and how you lead and most importantly, Lord, how you love. And may it stir our hearts and, and stir the affection in our hearts towards you, Lord, that it might change how we live our lives today. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we, we look at this story, and we see this is, is quite a scene, right? We call it, uh, we, we usually talk about this uh, scripture, um, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter. It's a big scene, big parade, big event. People are going crazy. They're excited, and you have to wonder, is this Jesus First time ever going into Jerusalem? Well, of course it's not. He's been there many times before. So what is significant about this arrival into Jerusalem? What's significant is this. It's, it's not his first time, but it will be his last time entering into Jerusalem. The people are, are going bananas. They're throwing their cloaks or their, their coats, their outer garments out onto the road. They're laying these leaves down. They're doing things for Jesus that you wouldn't do for anybody else unless they were A king, unless they believed that they were royalty. And so these people here, what they're doing and why they're doing this is because they're remembering these scriptures from the Old Testament, these prophecies of old that have been shared and told that they have heard. This is how the Messiah is going to come. And they're believing Jesus is coming. And they're believing that he's the Messiah. They're believing he's going to come and he's going to take over and he's going to rule and he's going to set them free from the oppression that they've been under. And he's going to rule in this earthly sense And so they're showing their support for him. They're like, yes, it's time. We're going to conquer these Romans. They're not going to be on top of us anymore. This is a royal welcome for the king of kings as they cry out words like Hosanna. We don't say Hosanna much today. We don't call that out or cry that out in parades often that I've been to. Uh, But Hosanna means save us. It means rescue us. And so they're crying out to Jesus, believing the Messiah, rescue us, save us. Help us, this is the time we've been waiting for. But this uh, kingly entrance into Jerusalem makes it clear that Jesus is not like the kings that have gone before. He doesn't rule like kings before. He's not gonna rule like kings that come after him. He rules in a very much different way. He lived in a very much different way. He's a different type of ruler. He's a grander Lord that we should follow. And so what I wanna do today is just point out two characteristics about Jesus Christ, our king, and his kingship from the text that we read today. Just two. 
The first one is this. We have to look at this passage of scripture and we have to recognize the humility of the king. We gotta recognize the humility of the king. Many other kings uh, in their entrance into town, into cities to let everybody know that they were there um, would give you different vibes. They give you like a, Aladdin vibes. Aladdin's one of my favorite movies. They give you like these type of vibes here. Like, you know, Prince Ali, fabulous he, Ali Ababa, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, he comes in on the elephant, it's a big deal. It's all about him, everybody crazy about him. But that's not how Jesus comes in, right? He's not elevated on an elephant or a camel or a, a horse even. Jesus comes in humbly on a donkey. So why does Jesus choose a donkey? Is that common for kings? Of course not. He could have ridden a chariot. He could have uh, took a abu and turned him into an elephant like that. Uh, there's so much symbolism here in the fact that Jesus chose a donkey. Let's compare for a second. Uh, horses in the first century and donkeys, and let's put them together. So horses would be used for battle. Uh, you, never, you never saw anybody take a, take a donkey into battle, right? That's just, that's weird. Like if somebody came in a donkey into battle, you'd be feeling pretty good about yourself. You'd be like, oh, this guy, you know, I've got this. Uh, horses were used for battle, but donkeys, donkeys were used for service. Uh, King Jesus here, the ultimate service, he's not coming in to do battle, right? He's coming to serve, Jesus is not entering into Jerusalem because he's going to wield a sword and conquer it. He's coming into Jerusalem because he's about to serve the human, the human race from the past, present, and future by laying his life down for them. He's the ultimate servant. The fact that Jesus used a donkey was a, a great sign of humility. Horses in that time were used for great men, or you know, men of war. But Jesus, what he used is the vehicle of the common man, the donkey. Horses were typically used by the wealthy but, but usually like the poorest of the poor had access or had themselves a donkey. A large prancing horse, if you think about that, you know, a big horse prancing. People would not be able to get close. If the horse was trotting or running, people would not be able to keep up. But Jesus gives off this demeanor of invitation as he walks in slowly on a donkey. And people are able to draw close. And people are able to keep up. Humility is an inviting thing. And that's what Jesus demonstrates to us here. That he is humble and he invites us in to come close to him. Jesus draws us near. Now I wonder in our own lives, do we give off that same demeanor of humility? Do we give off that same demeanor which people feel like they can keep up, or do people look at us and they're like, I can't keep up with them, man. They're just too far ahead. Or do people feel like they can't get close to us? If people don't feel like they can keep up with us and people don't feel like they can get close to us, it, it may be a sign that we're lacking some humility in our own hearts. Sometimes we can get so caught up in how, how great we are or we believe that we are that we don't let people get close enough to give us the opportunity to show them that Jesus can make a difference in their lives. The big idea here is, is if Jesus is humble and he's our king, if King Jesus is humble, then we, his people, should follow suit. How, how much sense does it make that, that we would serve the, the most humble of all kings and that we would be the proudest of all people? You know, a humble king shouldn't have servants that are more proud than him. We should humble ourselves and follow him in that way. And so through this entrance, Jesus demonstrates 
That even though the people make these grand gestures, right, they're trying to elevate him, Jesus, and even in that time, demonstrates humility. And so we also, may we, when even people tell us how great we are, may we demonstrate humility and look for these opportunities that we can point people to Jesus, the, the true king. So Jesus is a, a humble king. So the first thing we learn about Jesus, the humility of the king. The second thing is this, the sovereignty of the king. You know, we talked about these kings before, right? The kings of the past, usually not humble uh, and, and desired sovereignty. And in an earthly sense, they felt like they, they had some sense of sovereignty, uh, but not really. The basic definition of, of sovereignty or being sovereign is this. It's a ruler who's possessing supreme or ultimate power. I'm like, you've got power. You can do things. When you say jump, people say how high. When people, you say run, people say how fast. I mean, they just do what you say because you feel as if you're sovereign. But when we're talking about God, we define sovereignty a little bit different. When we look at God, we say sovereign is that this, that God has both the power and the wisdom to control and rule all things. Doesn't just have the power to control and rule all things, which is one thing. You know, people sometimes have power to do a lot of things, but a lot of times they don't have the wisdom. But Jesus has the power and the wisdom to, to control and to rule all things. Nothing is beyond him. Nothing surprises him. He's in control. I want you to look at how this is demonstrated within this text. If we go back to Mark chapter 11 and we just reread uh, the first six verses real quick, we're gonna see how God's sovereignty, his, his power and wisdom is displayed in how he controls what's going on here. Verse one, they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage, Bethany, at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples. This is what Jesus says to them before it happens. Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which nobody has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away, and well, guess what? They found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. Okay, they're following what Jesus has said to do here in verse five. Some of the people standing there said, what are you doing untying that colt? And they told them that Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. So Jesus demonstrates his sovereignty in this, that not only did he know where to find a donkey that had never been ridden, but he knew that they would then be asked about it. He knew what they needed to say for that donkey to be released. Imagine with me, if you will, you wake up this morning and there's a, a, couple, a couple strange men standing outside in your driveway uh, trying to hotwire your car. You know, you don't just let that go. You would, you would get up and you would say, hey, what? you know, at the very least, you'd say, hey, what are you doing? Hey, get out of here, scram, you know, whatever tough words you use. Scram's a pretty tough word, right? Scram, guys. Uh, so you say whatever that you're gonna say, and, uh, and, and the guys, imagine they say to you, hey, the Lord needs it, man. The Lord needs it. How many of us would say, oh, well, why didn't you just say so? I mean, if the Lord needs it, just, you know, take it, just bring it back when you're done. No, no, we wouldn't buy that, right? Because it doesn't make sense, Unless that is God had something to do with it. And that's what we find in this scenario, in this, in this uh, story, is that the Lord had something to do with it. That God has the power to bow men's hearts. And his sovereignty is the power to bow men's hearts. And he does that to the owners of this donkey. God was at work in the situation before they showed up. He was at work while they were there. God was at work because of his sovereignty. 
And so not only did he have a plan for the donkey, which I believe in a small way, really, in comparison, demonstrates his sovereignty, but he also had a much grander plan in place as well. Not just a plan for a donkey, but he had a plan for salvation. God's plan has been in place for years. It's not a spur-of-the-moment thing. It's not like something that they woke up and God was like, uh, hey, son, you know, why don't you go down and save the people? No, they had planned this. They knew this was coming. It was prophesied even 550 years earlier in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9. This is one of those passages of Scripture that the people would have been familiar with. Let's look at that together real quick. Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. He's humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus comes, you know, in a great fulfillment of this prophecy that they had been so familiar with from years to come. He, he comes just as it were prophesied the Messiah would come. A humble way of declaring, I am the one who is able to save you. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am the Messiah. And the people respond. What else is amazing is that Jesus knows exactly what he's walking into here on the back of this donkey. He, he has predicted it to his disciples now three times. We talked about it just a couple weeks ago. Jesus makes this, this description of what's going to happen. Look, guys, it's about to go down. I'm about to get, uh, I'm gonna get betrayed. I'm going to get beat. I'm going to get mocked. I'm going to get spit upon. I'm going to get hung upon a cross. But hey, don't worry. I'm going to rise after three days. He tells them this, and three times he's made this prediction to his disciples. So he's aware of what's about to happen. And this isn't the first time that people have, have tried to capture Jesus. I want to take you on a quick walk through a couple of the other Gospels real quick today. And I'm going to look at a few examples of, of some times in which the religious leaders got upset with Jesus. Because he's declaring his sovereignty. He's declaring that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. And it was hard to believe for them. They couldn't take it in. He, they thought he's being heretical. They thought he's blaspheming. And so they were so upset that in these, these quick little stories we're going to look at, they wanted to capture him, they wanted to kill him, they wanted to stone him. Look at Luke 4.30. 4 they come after him, and this is what it says happened in Luke 4.30. 4, uh, 4 it says, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. How did, how did, he, how did he do that? Look at John 7.30. They're coming to try to get him again, and it says, and as they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come? How's this possible? How's Jesus doing this? You know, what kind of superpowers does this guy have? Look at John 8, 59. Jesus makes another claim, and it says, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Maybe he had a cloak of invisibility. I don't know. And then John 10, 39, just one more. They come after him, and it says, again, they tried to seize him. But he escaped their grasp. So just four times we're looking at right here where the, 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 they've, they've tried. They've said, it's time. Let's kill this guy. It's over. He's done. And in each of these instances, Jesus has eluded his captors. He's, he's escaped. He's got away. They wanted to seize him. They wanted to stone him. They wanted to kill him or throw him off a cliff. But it wasn't his, it wasn't his time. The time had not yet come for him to be turned over to them. But in this case, we see why this is so, so critically important. All those stories teach us something about Jesus. Because he had escaped their grasp all these other times, 
it lets us know that, that if Jesus wanted to, he could have done it once again. As he rides into town knowing he's about to be betrayed, knowing he's about to be turned over, knowing that he's about to be beat and eventually hung on a cross, knowing all this, he, he could have got away. He could have hid himself from them again. But in this case, Jesus does the opposite. He, in fact, turns himself over. They say, I'm looking for Jesus. He says, I am he. I'm the one you're looking for. Jesus was unable to be captured. He was only going to be captured if he willingly gave himself up. And in this story, we see that as Jesus rides in on a donkey into Jerusalem, into the hornet's nest, if you will, he did it because he loved us. I mean, there was no way of making Jesus do something. We understand as we read the stories that Jesus didn't have to go through anything that he didn't want to. Wouldn't that be nice? If we could escape things that we didn't want to go through. If we could just fast forward. If we could hide ourselves. But Jesus had that ability. He didn't have to go through anything he didn't want to. And yet he did. He entered into it willingly. Because he is sovereign. Because he's got the power and the wisdom to be in control and to rule wisely. And, and just like we said, if, if a king is humble, his people should be humble. If his king is sovereign, well, his people should trust his wisdom. His people should rest in the fact that, that God is in control, that God knows that he has the, the power and the wisdom to rule, and we must trust him in that. This man who had escaped their grasp so many times before now knowingly rides into Jerusalem, knowing it's the beginning of the last week of his life, knowing that as these people worship him and they lay down these palm leaves and they, and they throw their cloaks on the, the street for him, they're treating him like a king, knowing that within a week, they're gonna be calling for him to be killed. But Jesus knew all that and he still went. So what does that tell us about Jesus? It tells us this, that his entrance demonstrates that he chose us. That, that he knew what was going to happen. He knew how it was going to go down. He knew what was to come, but he knew what needed to be done. And so Jesus rides in, not because he has to, because he wants to. Not because he's mad at you, but because he loves you. Jesus rides in because he chose us. He, he chose our our eternal life over his physical safety. It's kind of the equivalent of a parent running into a burning house to save their child, right? You know the risks. You know, I might not make it out alive. I don't know if I'll survive this, but you know I have to do this because my child's life means that much. I have to do everything I can to save my child. Regardless of the pain that it may cause me to go through, I believe my child is worth it, so I will run into that fire. I have four children, and sometimes, not, not very often, but usually if it happens all on the same day, uh, the kids won't listen so well, right? Or they won't act so well. Sometimes they can be stinkers, to put it nicely. Uh, they can disobey. They can say mean or hurtful things uh, to each other or to us. But you know what? Even in the midst of their, their worst days, I would, without hesitation, run into a burning house to save them, right? 
All, the, all the parents, you understand this, right? Any loving parent would, would do whatever to save their child without thought because I believe they're worth it. I would gladly trade my life for theirs because that's what parents do. That's love. And so when Jesus rides into town for these people who he knew would turn on him, these people who tend to be stinkers, he knew their sins. It's also important for us to know and remember that Jesus, as he rides in now, he knew your sins. He's not surprised by it. He knew how you would fail and mess up and sometimes turn your back on him. Those things in your life that you're the most embarrassed about. He knew those things as well. He also knew that you needed a savior and he believed this. He believed that you were worth it. That's why he rode into Jerusalem. That's why he chose to give himself up. He chose us. He wasn't caught. He wasn't captured. He rode into that town knowing this was going to be his last entrance into Jerusalem, knowing this would be the last time that he would go into Jerusalem as our sinless Savior, knowing this would be the last time he would go into there before he bore the criminal's cross. Usually at the end of a message, I try to don't always do well at it, but I try to give you some like real practical things, like action steps, right? Like do this or try that, something like that. Things you can do, some applications, if you will. This week, I, I, really, I really want you to take a second just to think. Take a second just to think about the fact that Jesus loves you so much that he willingly rode into harm's way. So that you might have salvation, so that you might have eternal life. He, he, you know, proverbially ran into that house that was on fire. He rode into that town knowing that he'd be on a cross within a week so that you could be saved from your sin. Would you think about that this morning? A lot of times we feel unloved and we feel unworthy. And even when we're unloved and Un, unworthy in the world's eyes. Even with the people who, who should love us most here on earth look at us and make us feel, whether they intend to or not, unloved or unworthy. We know that we have a Savior. We know that we have a King who rules with power and wisdom and all sovereignty that looks at us and says, you're worth it. He looks at us and says, I love you. He looks at us and says, my affection for you is so great. I believe that you have such tremendous worth that I'm willing to give up even my own life for you. What a king. What other king would do that for his people? On this day, the crowds, they cried out, Hosanna, which means save us, rescue us. Less than a week later, they'd be crying out, crucify him. Their cries went from save us to kill him within a week. When they found out that Jesus didn't come to rule like they thought he was going to rule. And so I was thinking about this this week. I thought, you know, what's my cry? What am I crying out in my life today? Is my, is my cry, Hosanna, save, save me, God, save me, rescue me. Or is my cry, crucify him? And I know that sounds like, you know, two polar opposites. It sounds like uh, two ends of the spectrum. 
But when it comes to following Jesus, there's really only two options. We're, we're either save us, rescue us, or even though we would never, we'd never say it, we're crucify him. You, you either recognize your need for, sa- for a savior, and that is Jesus, or you don't. There's no, there's no really in between. I think about Jesus, I think he knew what he was getting into. He did it anyway. Because he knew you were worth it. He knows all about you. He knows all about your past, all about your present, all about your future. Knows you're not perfect, doesn't expect you to be, but he believes yet you're still worth it. Do you know, do you know that you're worth it? I know a lot of people struggle with feelings of self-worth. And those of us who have struggled with it, we can empathize with you in those feelings. I mean, that's tough sometimes. Does anybody care? Does anybody love us? Does anybody think that we're something special? We wrestle with those things. But as we talked about last week, we living, we're living what? Not, not for an audience of millions. We're living not for the crowd, but we're living for an audience of, of one. And I'm going to tell you here today, and I hope you hear me, that one, he loves you, he thinks you're worth it, and he thinks you're really special. That's the kind of king we serve. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the time has come for us, Lord, to to look to you and pray, God, that you would do what only you could do, Lord, that you would bow our hearts towards you, Lord, that if there's anybody here today who has not surrendered their life to you, surrendered their life to your kingship, that today would be the day that we do that, Lord, that today would be the day that we humble ourselves before you, recognizing our need for a Savior and recognizing that you are the Savior that we need, desire, and long for. So, Lord, I pray today that you humble hearts in this place today, that you would encourage us this morning by reminding us that in your eyes we have worth beyond compare that in your eyes you see something very special that in your eyes Lord you see your child created in your image Lord so we might walk and bear good fruit in keeping with repentance Lord help us encourage those who need encouraged with your love today Lord Challenge those who need challenge, Lord, those who who may not be walking the path of a follower of Jesus, but they know they ought to be. Challenge them, Lord, to surrender themselves to your kingship today. Lord, we want to thank you for doing what we could not, for giving yourself up for us. May we live our lives in appreciation and gratitude for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We really hope you enjoyed today's message. Don't forget to take a second to subscribe to our podcast so you stay up to date with the newest messages from Skyline Church. If you'd like to explore more resources or donate to any of our missions, please visit our website at skyline.church. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a review. Not only does it help us stay connected to you, but also helps others find this podcast. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.